If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hey there, friend. Welcome back to another episode of In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen, and today I'm here with Sebastian Terry, a motivational speaker, author, and adventurer who is best known for his 100 Things Project, which is actually his personal attempt to reach 100 goals in his lifetime. Sebastian calls himself a bucket list enthusiast. We'll have to check to see if that's how he describes himself still today. (laughs) But he's been to more than 50 countries, completed uh, over over 75 things on his list, which include a few things that I found most interesting, like marrying a stranger, delivering a baby, and also walking across a country. There were other things on there, though, that I was like, these don't compare. Like running a marathon is nothing compared to delivering a baby, that's for sure. (laughs) But it's not just about checking items off of a bucket list. Sebastian's heart is to help people live more meaningful lives. Through his work, he's also raised more than 300,000 dollars for various charities. So in today's episode, we're going to talk to Sebastian about his journey, the lessons he's learned, and how his 100 Things Project has changed his life. Sebastian, welcome. Hi, Karen. Thank you for a lovely intro. <laughs> You're very welcome. I uh, One question before we hop into uh, anything else, first and foremost, are you wearing shoes right now? No. <laughs> If you're listening to this, uh, then you may not understand why I'm asking. I will tell you, you know, when I'm researching my guests, I like to look through everything as much as possible. And there was one picture, one picture out of probably thousands where you're wearing shoes. And I mean, like, even on stage, even during interviews on TV, you never wear shoes. Give me the backstory, sir. (laughs) It's a funny story. So I don't wear shoes on stage anymore. I There was a period in my life for two and a half years where I didn't wear shoes. And uh, I became known for it for some reason. I didn't do it for any reason. It was actually quite funny how it happened. I So I have a reality show uh, that were, it came out about five years ago. And I was living in Australia at the time. And the first episode was getting shot in Hawaii. And the show was, the premise was me helping people achieve their biggest bucket list goals. So that particular episode, we were helping a guy, a, a, a US war vet uh, who was scared of the water. We were helping him learn how to surf because he'd always wanted to. So anyway, on the way to the airport, my my thongs or my flip-flops, uh, they broke. One of them broke and I didn't have any spare shoes. And I thought, right, let's just see how far I get. So I went into the airport. I went into the lounge. I got onto the plane, I flew to Hawaii, I landed, I caught up with the crew and the producer of the show obviously said, why aren't you wearing shoes? And I told him the story. And then he said, well, you don't have to wear shoes for this. It just means you have to be consistent. So every one of the 26 episodes, don't wear shoes. And I said, fine. So I I, I come from the Northern beaches of Sydney and no one really wears shoes. So it was very comfortable to me. And then after the show was finished, I just thought, well, I should just keep on doing this. And so that's kind of where, where, where it came from. So, uh, (laughs) but I, I do now wear shoes uh, occasionally, but when I'm on stage, I typically don't. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Honestly, there's something about our feet touching the earth that is so grounding. I mean, you know, we experience that when we're on the beach, but, you know, doing it in the grass or doing it as you're just like walking around the house, even there's just something about that barefoot on the ground that certainly feels grounding to me, at least. Yeah. Do you know, it's really funny when I do a a talk, you know, and I'll get into this more, of course, but, you know, I talk about these concepts of passion and purpose, helping people. The first question in a QA and a is always, why aren't you wearing shoes? And then people say generally, I wish I didn't have to wear shoes. And I, of course, respond, you don't have to. Some people do. (laughs) I think that's what a lot of people are feeling after coming back from holiday break, too. They're like, oh, I don't want to have to wear traditional clothes to go back into the office. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm not wearing any pants right now. Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, listen, this uh, hundred things project was absolutely fascinating. I, I love how it's so much more. And I don't know if you started with this intention, but it really is so much more than just checking things off of a bucket list to say that you've done it. I mean, these are curating experiences that are helping people to unleash probably different parts of themselves, certainly experience different parts of themselves. But what inspired you to embark on this journey? You're certainly right. This journey was never meant to be anything other than this personal quest to be happy. 
I, in high school, I, you know, I, I just sort of conformed to that normal way of, of kind of growing up. So I went to university at graduation. I felt incredibly underwhelmed. I was curious as to why that was. I went backpacking overseas. And whilst I was overseas, uh, I received news that I'd lost a friend of mine very suddenly. He was 24. I was 25. And it just made me consider his life first. I think death sparks reflection first of the deceased and, and then of yourself. And in that moment, I remember asking if Chris, you know, this guy I'd gone to school with and played rugby with and surfed with and drank beers with, I remember just wondering, you know, if he had his 24 years again, would he change anything? You know, was he happy? And I never got to ask him, but I came to the conclusion that he probably wouldn't change anything. I think he lived a purpose-driven life. He just liked the things that he did. It was values driven. He loved the beaches and his friends and his family and having fun. And rightly or wrongly by anyone else's code, I just thought, wow, he lived a really good life because he was himself. I then turned that question on myself and I thought, well, today was my last day. Could I say the same thing that I wouldn't change anything? And it was the first time I ever looked at my life from that perspective. And I realized instantly that I would change everything. So I created a list of things, starting with one and uh, it was just things that I hoped would make me smile. Uh, I realized I was very sheltered. I hadn't tried things, scared. And I just put down this, this this list of things and I committed to just completing them. So soon after that, I dropped everything in my life to pursue this, this list of 100 things. And that was the beginning of it. So it was, a very, it was very much in the first place, just very personal. But as you say, what it's actually turned into over 15 years is very much different. Uh, and I'm so glad for it. It's now become this hub, this catalyst for people around the world to you know, become the best version of themselves. And, and, and that's what I think we're talking about being the best version of ourselves and uh, mm -hmm. unlocking passion so that we live better lives. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when people hear the best version of myself, it can feel overplayed, especially if you live in the world of personal development, right? Or if you're exploring the world of personal development, that's the thing that we're supposed to aspire to. When you think about that, what is the best version of Sebastian? Well, I just want to feel good. You know, I, I think that's what everyone wants. And, and I think we all want to feel a sense of purpose in our lives. I think if we're able to identify purpose in and out of the workplace, it's a very good thing. Ultimately, it allows us to grow. So if we're able to then identify particular specific goals, which all are purpose-driven and we commit to them, I think that allows growth. And over a sustained period of time, that leads to this sense of connection with ourselves and, and then outwardly with other people. So I think we're all the same in that sense. We, we, we crave and innately we need those things without purpose, without this growth, without connection to ourselves and others. We feel stagnant, misaligned, fragmented internally. And the same, of course, goes for business. So look, I mean, that's the, that's the premise of it. I mean, for me, I, I should say from the onset, you don't need a hundred things uh, on a list. You just need one, as you know. Getting to that point is very interesting. You know, I've, I, I've kind of developed over the years an eight-step process of being able to create and activate your ultimate list. The first four steps kind of work on creating the list. Second four are about activating it and bringing it to life through action, which is this very important thing. Mm -hmm. but no, I, I'm on it all the time. And I, and I think the goalposts always change for us. You know, lists mm -hmm. should be these interactive things that are a little bit agile. Goals should change over time because we change over time. If you look at my list when I started 15 years ago, it was adrenaline, thrill-seeking, mm -hmm. jumping out of planes naked, being a, a you know, there were, there were lots of things. And now it's not so much that. There's certainly more of a sentiment around growth and connection and mm -hmm. uh, creating tradition and having positive influence. So, yeah, a very long-winded way of saying that I think ultimately we all want to feel good and I think we all get there in different ways. And mm -hmm. the key is being able to work out what is the way for me to best be myself. Yes, absolutely. I also think part of our best self comes from feeling fully alive. And as you mentioned, it's very easy for us to check the boxes, if you will, just to follow the status quo. Whatever we were taught, whatever we were shown, that's those are the steps we're going to follow. But does that really make you feel fully alive? Do you really feel connected to the people around you? Are you energized by the work you're doing? All of these things contribute to you being your best self because it's, I mean, I know that even in my challenges, even in the hardest moments of my life, there's something being activated inside of me that's going to help to shape and mold me in a way that's going to better serve the world. 
Absolutely. I think, you know, the adversities that people face, of course, you've gone through many things, Uh, you know, I have too. And and I think, you know, arguably everyone's gone through something, you know, varying degrees. I think there's opportunity there. I think, you know, this adversity gifts us with perspective. And if we're able to look at something from the right angle, there are learnings there. So, you know, I, I think, I mean, I just, I was telling you just before we started this podcast, I just came back from a trip in Japan. And this concept of ikigai is something I, I, I've been reading this book. Maybe people listening have read it as well, but they talk a lot about, you know, finding your passion and it's correlation or the crossover of what you're passionate about, uh, what the world needs, what you're good at, what the, I think what you can get paid for mm-hmm. and whether you like what's said in the book or not, the idea is again, a different way of finding this, the ikigai as they would call it, or your, or your passion where you feel in flow all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm constantly trying to learn about things like this. Cause I think, you know, we, we need, to this personal growth thing is it's 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 every day we don't just get to a point and we're like oh i, I made it thank goodness <laughs> so, you know i and, and they ask a question in the book which i you know I, I loved to think about and i've you know i've thought about this before and it's you know what would you do if no one knew what you were doing if the only important thing at the end of the day was that you felt good and you were smiling what would that thing be what activity is it that you do which you know time suddenly goes out the window you feel you know, endless amounts of resource and creativity and excitement. And we all have that, but we don't often uh, get encouraged to think about it. You know, and even for me, you know, I, it's interesting. You know, I'm on a stage or I have a book, I have it. So people would think, oh, well, this guy's got it nailed. But the truth is we're, we're always working towards it. This trip to Japan, I mean, you know, quite simply, I was on my phone quite a bit and I just realized, oh my gosh, every time I'm on my phone, I'm taken out of the moment. So I, I haven't been that present with things. You know, I do a lot of different things. And uh, again, being in Japan and reading this book, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm so scattered. I'm not focusing on one thing. And this idea of, you know, again, flow, if you focus on one thing, one task, that's where we, you know, suddenly find the the inspiration, the time, the resource to get things done. So anyway, I'm sort of babbling, but my point is personal development is something we're all going through. And uh, it's just really important to be, if you're going to work towards anything, you may as well work towards something that matters to you. So again, the question is what matters? So true. And by the way, Babylon, I hang on every word and my listeners do too. This is the place to babble. That's for sure. You said something that I wrestle with often. Do you think that we have to go through adversity to find that fresh perspective of what makes life worth living? Unfortunately, I think it's something which we hear a lot of and the people who are gifted with this adversity, if you look at it from an optimistic lens, yes, it's something that that, that certainly is uh, helpful, uh, if that's the right word, perhaps it's not. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately, no, you don't have to wait for adversity to make a positive change in your life. We all have the ability to give ourselves permission to do mm-hmm. so right away. I think permission is one of the key aspects of, of mm-hmm. goal setting and, and, and making positive change in your life. And anybody can do that. You know, I think, you know, the reason you have this podcast potentially is because you want your listeners to be able to make a change in their life without having to go through what you did, without having to go through what I did. Mm-hmm. And so permission, thankfully, is just this split second decision that anybody can ask themselves to simply put yourself in the hot seat and think, right, am I on the right path? If so, keep going. If not, what is a different path or mm-hmm. a different way of moving forward? So, no, mm-hmm. you don't need to wait for adversity to make a positive change in your life. We all have the ability to do that right now. Mm-hmm. I think the question that you thought about earlier with your friend Chris was, is a great way to maybe spark that uh, motivation, that intrinsic motivation, is to really think, am I happy with how I've spent these years of my life? And if if not, then what do I want to change for the rest of my years? What is And you're right, it is going to take giving ourselves permission, especially if we're going against what we think we're supposed to do, which also takes a ton of bravery and courage because now you're saying, well, I'm going to butt up against things like uncertainty. Mm, I've never met a person who loves uncertainty. I don't, do you? Do you love uncertainty? Uh, well, I, what I've come to the realization is that <laughs> everything's uncertain. Yes, exactly. We have this, it's a fallacy that we're in control of, of things. I mean, I, yeah. you know, to a degree we can help influence, of course. And mm-hmm. We are, uh, you know, we are in control of a few things, I suppose. However, we're on a spinning rock going through space and we don't have control of that. <laughs> yeah, I think unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're getting comfortable with uncertainty, you're kidding mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Life is uncertain. Exactly. Through the day. Yes. But, uh, you know, that's the truth of it. 
Right. We don't know what's going to happen in the next few minutes or the next day or, or what have you. So, OK, we don't love uncertainty, but we have learned to accept uncertainty. Is there anything, though, that you do in particular, maybe even as you're going to face one of these uh, goals or challenges that you've set for yourself? I know you said they were a little more uh, adrenaline fueled before. Now they seem to be more deeply meaningful. But is there anything that you do to handle fear or uncertainty as you take on new challenges and experiences? Absolutely. I'm a big believer that discomfort is the gateway to growth. And I think the more often that you get out of your comfort zone, the better, the more we grow. That feeling when we don't know what's around the corner, uh, we relinquish control of external factors. We, we, you know, we're filled with uncertainty, as you say. Uh, we, we filled with perhaps self-doubt, anxiousness, etc. And Every single time that we take that leap and that first step into discomfort away from what we know, we find that we perform better. We find that than we thought we would. Our natural mm-hmm. default is I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this. But every time we take that first step, we realize, oh, I'm slightly more capable than I thought. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a, a really important routine that we should be getting in doing mm-hmm. things that are new, that are novel, that are that are challenging. And yeah, I, I think that's a way to become more familiar with the uncertainty, with the unknown. There's a suggestion with what I do. I think people who might not know me think that I'm somewhat invincible. I can do anything. I hear it quite often and it's not true. The, 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 the truth of it is you never get rid of fear. It is always there. We just learn to process it differently. Yes. And the way to learn to process it differently is to live in it a little bit more, lean mm-hmm. into the uncomfort. And then over time, consistently with getting out of our comfort zones, trying new things, we find that we grow and we better equip ourselves for what's around the corner. Mm, So you intentionally step out of your comfort zone, almost as like reminding yourself, like, I can do this. Well, absolutely. And it's not that bad. Yeah. Because we we tend to lose that as we get older. You think of a a child, you know, they fall as they learn to walk, they fall over all the time. Their their day is full of failings and, you know, they don't know what's going on. They don't have a developed mind or brain or awareness or perspective on what the world's about, but they keep getting up as we get older and grow into, you know, adulthood, which I think I'm approaching soon. I, you know, we tend to worry about, well, I don't know if I can do that. Therefore I'm not going to. Yeah. And that that creates stagnancy. Mm-hmm. That, that that is such a, a fear-driven mindset, which unfortunately leads us as individuals into a place of, of a lack of growth and as businesses, um, a, a place where people aren't performing as, as, as well as they should be. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I try and get nervous as much as I can. In fact, my whole list is predicated by, well, what's going to make me feel uncomfortable here? And, mm-hmm. and that's why there are so many weird things on it. Where are you most uncomfortable? Jeez. Uh, I think like many people, I, I think we get uncomfortable when we feel sort of vulnerable, when we, when we expose ourselves physically in one sense, there's quite a few nude items on my list, not that it has to be on everyone else's, but, but also, you know, our, our minds when, when, when mm-hmm. people are able to see in. So, you know, some things that you've mentioned before, or maybe I should mention some new things, but you know, songwriting, I wrote a song and I sang it to a crowd. One of the most nerve wracking things I've ever done. I did stand up comedy. So nerve wracking. I delivered a baby. Like you said, that was another thing in a completely different realm of nervousness. I did a, an Ironman, a long form triathlon. And again, am I good enough to, am I able, is my body able to do this? You know, it, it took me 12 hours to do it. So, you know, I, I'm nervous in all the ways and uncomfortable in all the ways that everyone else is. I, I've got this funny story. I kissed a celebrity. It was on my list. <laughs> Who did you kiss? Sharon Osbourne. Oh, Sharon. <laughs> I love that. I think she was 60 or 65 at the time. <laughs> but that story was so weird because I was doing a talk at an event in Sydney. This is the quick version. Yeah. I was doing a talk at an event in Sydney and Sharon Osbourne was the person speaking before me. I didn't know that. I got I got to the event early. I saw that she was on stage. There was about a thousand people there in an amphitheater. Cameras and paparazzi were on the side. And I sat down and I thought, oh, that's a celebrity. I could try and kiss her. So I ran to the event organizer off stage. And I said, Hey, do you mind if I try and kiss Sharon Osborne? I want to ask her. And she said, of course not. You can't do that. I went back to my seat and I thought I felt relief. I felt a sense of relief. And then it dawned on me. Why do I feel relief? I've just been told I can't do the thing that I want to do. So I ran back to the event organizer and I said, Hey, I'm just going to ask you again. Is there any chance 
I could try and kiss Sharon Osbourne. Then organizer said, no, we're paying you as a speaker to be here. You cannot do that. <laughs> so I ran back to my seat knowing that I was going to try and I didn't know how, and I was so nervous. You know when you, you know when that feeling when you, your heartbeat rises, yes. you, you, your palms become sweaty. Yeah. You, you know something's on the horizon. Uh, and anytime I get that, I know now that I have to step into it. I know that that discomfort. Mm-hmm. And I, my only question in my head was, well, how do I get to Sharon Osbourne to ask her this? And just like clockwork, she said, uh, right time for questions. Uh, there's a microphone going around the audience. If anyone has a question, put your hand up. And my hand just shot up into the air and I didn't want it to be there, but it was. And then suddenly someone gave me a microphone. I was the first question and nervous. I've got this on video. It's on my Instagram or something website. I nervously, I said, hi, Sharon, I have a list of hundred things. Number 34 is to kiss a celebrity. Would you be open to the idea? And she said, get your ass down here. I quote, <laughs> that's what she said. And so I, I stood up, walked down to the stage. Even now with permission, I was petrified. I, I was sweating profusely. My heart, my heart rate must have been 500. I got onto the stage. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's clapping. No one knows what's about to happen, including me. And I sort of, I, I have to think in my head, I don't know quite what to do here. All I know is that my face has to be in front of her face and I'll, I'll let her lead this dance. <laughs> So I crouched down, waddled across the stage, and she grabbed my face, stuck her tongue so far down my throat, and bit my lip, by the way, to the point where it bled. It was an amazing kiss. And and that was it. And I did it. Now, the reason I tell this story is because so many people hear this and they think, that guy, he's done it again. He is fearless. The truth is I was petrified the entire time. And the only difference, the only difference between me kissing Sharon Osbourne and by the way, that, that doesn't have to be the goal that we're all talking about here, but conceptually, <laughs> the only difference between me achieving a goal and somebody else sitting back in the seat and not achieving the goal is I decided to step outside of my comfort zone and try. I applied action to a goal and got there. So, yeah, look, I think there's a million ways to feel nervous. You don't have to do these audacious things. Stepping outside for some people is tough. Talk, talking to people is tough. But if you're able to identify these things and do them, that's that's where the sweet spot of growth is. Mm, and I love how you paid attention to. So awareness is really important in our journeys as well, right? We have to obviously be aware of where we are. We have to be aware of our actions that are either keeping us where we are or helping us to move forward. But anyway, the point is, is you were even aware of your body giving you signals that I am so nervous. And it's interesting, though, that you can notice it and still lean into it because you're right. It's at that fork in the road where that's that's the difference, right? Between people who achieve what they want to accomplish and those who settle for where they are. It's we all get to that fork in the road. We all notice that we're nervous, that we're scared, that we all think about failure. We all consider the worst case scenario. That is very, very, very normal. But once you notice that, then what do you choose? It's a choice. Life is an absolute choice. It's so you put it so so beautifully. You you choose to walk the path towards happiness or you choose not to. You choose to walk that path towards success. You choose not to. You choose to get out of bed and go for a run or you don't. And, you know, ultimately I think you choose to grow or not. You choose to change or not. It, it, everything's a choice. And and it's actually, it sounds quite confronting, I think, to some people. And, and I certainly did to myself as well. But for, with the right lens, from the right perspective, uh, it's very empowering. It's very mm-hmm. empowering. If life is about choice and we get to choose what we do and, and how we show up to the world, what, how wonderful we get yeah. to choose that. And it will feel uncomfortable yeah. for a while, but then you'll realize after an amount of time, oh my gosh, life is different for me because I'm making mm-hmm. the right choices. It applies mm-hmm. to dating. It applies to work. It applies to personal life. It applies to absolutely everything. I've actually got, I here's a little personal insight. One of my friends I've been feeling very distant to recently and without going into the whole story, I've organized a lunch with him today because I'm going to tell him and I'm going to, and I, you know, I've actually written a little script (laughs) and I'm so, I'm so nervous about it right now. You know, so I think it's, uh, you know, I, you have to embrace these things that pop up Mm. and they pop up in every aspect of life. And as long as you're sort of, I I don't want to say heart centered, but as long as you're doing it with the right intention, with noble intention, it's fine to be nervous. Uh, It's important to be nervous. Uh, And it's also the the outcome isn't that important. The outcome isn't. I thought at the beginning of my list, it would take me a hundred things to be happy. And it's absolute nonsense. 
It's nonsense. This list, a list and goals, of course, are very important. However, they are just the vehicle, I believe, for us to understand who we are. And and I actually think the reason you get in that vehicle is because ultimately the key to living uh, a happy life, as I see it, is the ability to simply be ourselves. Yes. If you're able to be yourself, you're doing well. And that's all that matters. Absolutely. Oh, I love that for so many reasons. Is there anything that you recently accomplished that you are very proud of? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm consistently working towards my goals. I'm, I'm learning French, uh, which mm. is it's sort of like, I've been doing it for a long time. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, actively trying to learn. Well, no, I've been inactively trying, wanting to learn for 15 years. Uh, if someone wants to learn French, I could probably do it in three months. Uh, but I, but more recently I've been going to France more. So I've actually, I'm giving a talk, uh, a, a keynote in two weeks in Malta, which is, I can't wait. But after Malta, I've got 10 days in between that event and my next one. So I'm just going to France. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to go and speak. So I'm really proud of that. I've been, uh, another one, number 76 on my list is to learn a classical piano piece. Now I, I can't play piano. I don't know one key on a keyboard. I don't know where C is. And I, I, I <laughs> promise that's the truth. Uh, but over the last uh, 18 months to two years, probably I've been learning Claire de Lune, uh, which is this mm. beautiful, do you know that piece? Yes. Yeah. I've been learning Claire de Lune or for YouTube video and I'm just copying finger positions. Uh, yes. So it's me- it's more of a memory test rather than learning. Music. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm now two and a half minutes into this song and it sounds beautiful. And I'm so proud of things like that. I, I recently um, bought my dream car. I don't have many materialistic things on my list, but I suppose that is. Uh, and it's a 1979 VW microbus or a combi, as we would call them in Australia. Oh, yes. It's this beautiful, I'm going to try and get a photo and, and show you, yes. um, even if your viewers can't see. But it's this beautiful red van. And, you know, it's it, even that, it speaks, mm. I, I think it speaks wonders. Here we go. Here, I'm going to show you. This doesn't work yes. for your audience. But. Yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of those things. We always think, oh, I, at one point I will. At one point I will. And sometimes you just have to. And I just woke up one morning and I thought, why not? Why not? And so I Googled VW Combis LA. There was one in Glendale. And I just went out there and bought it. Again, now some people might be listening and say, well, we don't have the, I don't have the money to just go and buy that. Well, I don't necessarily either. Uh, and I'm not suggesting we all put ourselves in debt, by the way, but I am suggesting that we all have the the this beautiful gift of choice uh, and you can mm-hmm. do whatever mm-hmm. you want. And if you don't have time or if you don't have the money uh, or if you have a, a family and kids or you have an, a crazy agenda, there is still always an opportunity to do something that is meaningful to you. Ideally speaking, family, work, all those things are choices as well and they're things that you enjoy. But even worst case that none of that is, you still have an opportunity to do something. There is something that will make it, which will shift the needle for you in a positive way that is free, that is easy, that is quick, most likely. And again, that those things, when we identify them, should be on our list. It doesn't have to be world changing your list. Uh, Your goal just has to be personally relevant. That is so true because, again, the goal all goes back to I want to feel happy. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to be excited about life and feel rejuvenated. But we're so busy. We are so busy with the demands of life, with the different pressures or interruptions that come on, different stressors. And I think of it this way. Doing something that makes me happy is bringing is also bringing balance into my life because there are a lot of things that I have to do just because I'm an adult. <laughs> There's a lot of things I have to do just because my work demands it of me or because it, you know it's my responsibility as a parent or what have you. So yes, I do need to fulfill those items, but don't I also deserve to enjoy life? Shouldn't I be giving myself rich experiences that are are grounding me and, and, and deepening my experience of this one life that I get? So for the person who's like, oh, well, yes, but I have all of these obligations or I can't find the time or I can't find the money. I encourage you, listener, to think about it from that place. Well, what are you doing to take care of yourself and to bring yourself joy? And this actually... One of the areas that I love to live in is positive psychology and something very simple like doing a hobby that you enjoy will not only feel good because you're like, oh, yeah, I have a smile on my face, but it actually releases the different chemicals and hormones that your brain needs to stay in good health. So not only is it just good for your heart to do the things that you love, but it is absolutely good for your brain. (laughs) 100%. I I couldn't agree more. And I I mean, there's so much to talk about here. When, When you... 
from the moment you identify a goal and all the way through what we would call the goal striving process, as you know, dopamine and serotonin are released into the body. They're pleasure chemicals. You know, dopamine is released in the anticipation of uh, doing something that's meaningful. Uh, it's it's very addictive. It makes us feel very motivated. And serotonin sort of over, uh, I, I guess, it has a, a longer effect of reducing depression, regulating anxiety, making us smile, making us feel more confident. Those things are uh, released the minute we simply write down a goal. So if we're talking about wellness and feeling good, clearly goal setting is a crucial and needed part of of that. And it's very simple. And uh, another, and I, I know you you know a lot more about this than I do, but I'm a very simple guy. And so something like that makes me go, well, okay, goal setting is important. Also, to have this balance, as you say, in your life, you know, we, we can break it down into, you know, professional and personal, which is very true. I think we need to have meaningful goals in, in both realms. But if you, I do this exercise where I get people to write down a eulogy, their own eulogy, as if today was their last. And it's, for the reason of ga- gaining perspective, it's not meant to be this critical analysis of your life. However, you know, we, we would ask that you would do it, you know, honesty, on, honestly and candidly. And, uh, you know, you basically find that you you acknowledge different areas of your life, some areas that you've done very well in, other areas you may have sort of overlooked a little bit. And in that recognition, you start to identify these key aspects, love, relationships, work, dreams, goal setting, your creativity, the impact you had on the world. Everyone's different. And having done this eulogy and then identified these major areas in our life that are important to us, you can then think, well, okay, if I was to change my life, if I had this brilliant moment, this opportunity to do so, what would I do to make that eulogy sound better? And that that's the beginning of a really interesting in to goal setting. And, and, and I do that uh, I do that probably every six months. I do a goal setting activity every three months. In fact, on this whiteboard behind me, I've got a list of goals which aren't on my official list, but they are mini goals that I feel will bring balance to my life. My my eight aspects, if you're interested. Yes, uh, we are. <laughs> physical health, finance, key relationships, love, professional development, personal development, travel and adventure, and creativity. And under each of those, I've just put three or four goals, really simple things that I can work on over, over three months. Um, Do you mind sharing one? Yeah. Well, love. <laughs> Healthy dating decisions. That is just, you know, maybe something that it applies to many of us. But health, I, I've made bad, unhealthy decisions knowingly in the past when when dating. So that's just one uh, for love. Uh, another one for key relationships is I've got such a great circle of friends, but I've been quite lazy with the way I interact and catch up with them. So I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm at a cafe, come drop in type of thing. So over the next three months, uh, once a month, I want to organize a curated experience for my friends. So I've just, I've actually sent out this message yesterday to everyone. I've said on our WhatsApp thread, uh, for anyone who's interested in doing a goal setting exercise for 2023, so reviewing 22, uh, understanding what the key aspects are in our lives moving forward and setting, uh, you know, setting our big goals for 2023. I'm hosting an event. So I'm going to put on pizza and some beers or whatever. There are I've, I've got room for 10 people uh, and they're going to come over and we're going to do this fun, I would say, very important thing together. And that's just one. It doesn't, I mean, it's coincidental that it's something that I teach too. But the next time, <laughs> it, the, the, the next one I think I'm going to do actually is going to be a TEDx viewing party. So everyone has to suggest their favorite TEDx video and we're going to come around, watch that person's video and we'll talk about it. And then everyone do that. So anyway, that might seem boring to other people, but it's interesting to me. Well, we, you know your circle, and I'm sure that that sounds like a great time to me. <laughs> absolutely. We actually had we had another one last month with a, a very good friend of mine, Ben Nempton, who's another speaker, and we hosted. We called it Wacky Boys Night, and uh, it was there was it was a lot to it. But basically, we we think everyone should be playing more, right? So we did poetry. Yes. We had to. We each had to write a poem on the spot. We each had to do improv songs. So I I bought a guitar and we just sang for hours. And then we did um, improv comedy as well, which I'd never done before. All out of our comfort zone, all fun, all playful, all with good people. Community is such an important part of growth and, and balance in life. And these things are, you know, really telling. So I think that's it. Is that, that's kind of a good, uh, do you want another example? Give me one more. Yes. I, I'm just looking at this right now. Uh, Oh, I want to start a, tra- a tradition. 
So mm. there's a long reason as to why this is. I didn't basically have tradition growing up, and I think it's it's such a lovely thing to witness with other friends. So now me and my sister are going to do an annual trip somewhere, and uh, I'm just working out with her where that is for this year. Mm. So it, it could be a number of places. It might be New Zealand most likely. But anyway, there you go. I love those. I love those. I just saw a new, a couple also starting a new tradition where instead of buying each other gifts, they were going to go on a trip. So just the two of them, I guess they have kids. And so they each put two places in a hat and they selected where are we going to go next? And that's going to be the place that they planned their trip to this year, which I think is fantastic. I really like that. And I love how they gamified it. We don't play exactly. enough games. In fact, I agree. We were in Japan the other day, and uh, me, uh, a friend, Matt Paulson, and Ben uh, Nempton, and we <laughs> we we stopped at this this beautiful little kind of. It was like a, a boutique. It wasn't even a hotel. There were only three rooms. So I don't even know what you call it. But there was a fantastic room. They were all fantastic, actually. But one was small, one was medium sized, one was big, and uh, we didn't know who to give the room to. So we played a rock throwing competition. Uh, and whoever got it closest to this, this step that we identified in the distance won. <laughs> I, I happened to win. But we should be playing more to, you know, maybe not for major life decisions or maybe, who knows, but we should be playing more. I agree. I agree. Now, we were talking about traveling a little bit, talking about connections. I know that you have traveled a lot, even while hitting this list, but it sounds like you travel also for fun, which is fantastic. Falls in line with you being an adventurer, that's for sure. Have any of your experiences traveling the world or doing different experiences in different parts of the world, have any of those changed your view on the world and and your place in this world? Geez, so, wow, what a great question. I, I think like ge- generally all of the travel over the years and the interactions and experience have certainly changed, d- definitely obviously changed my, my, my view and, and thoughts. I would have to say, well, I'll say a couple of things. I'll say one is I've been living in LA for five years now from Australia and the, the beauty, I mean, I think everywhere has pros and cons and you could argue either one very easily, but the beauty of LA and I'd say the US at large um, I think, although I haven't lived anywhere else in the US, is there is such a great culture for collaboration here and there's so much support here. People have ideas and everyone tries to lift each other up and I, and I love that. It's, it's opened me up, absolutely. I live specifically in Venice Beach, which I will kind of joke occasionally uh, is the spiritual capital of the world. You know, there are a lot of people here who, you know, <laughs> uh, who are shamans or identify, you know, who, who are, you know, life coaches and all this sort of stuff. And it's a lot. But I will say that similar to passive smoking, you know, you can't help if someone's smoking near you, you inhale a little bit by mistake. It's similar to that. I think I've grown on a spiritual level here in LA because of that. Now, I'm not a shaman. I, I you know, the day you see me walking around the streets in a, in a cape and a, you know, a hat with a feather hanging, you know, shoot me. But <laughs> I, I, I do think there is something, uh, there's definitely this effect of being in an area where everyone is so mindful and conscious. Um, so I think this is this has certainly changed me over the last five years. I think I'm a better person for being here and, and I love it. I would also say just kind of topically, because we spoke about it quickly before we started recording, going to Japan, it was, it was, it was a great trip. It was only five days. I felt like I lived a year there. And it, I, I'm still processing a lot of the things uh, that that I just witnessed and I experienced there. I just find for anyone who's been there, you know what we're talking about. For those who haven't, you, you got to go. They are, they. I, I, it almost sounds like too much of a blanket statement, but what I experienced were people who were so so drawn to the nuances of of life, everything. If the, the, when you sit down and eat sushi, for example, you put the chopsticks here, the prawn tail goes there once you've eaten it. What, there's just so many little things. That, that, and, and I just so appreciated that, you know, being a, a Westerner, is it a typical Westerner? Is that, have I just insulted Westerner? I, you know, <laughs> well, I don't even think about my food when I, I just, I put it in my mouth, it's gone and then I move on. They, the attention to detail, they're so present in every single moment. The sushi artist who was making sushi for us, we had this wonderful guy and he took us to this incredible little joint in the middle of nowhere in Tokyo. He, he had collected the fish that morning. He'd got, I was watching him just make the sushi and he was rolling his hands. It was, it was incredible. It was like watching a magician. And he also was laughing the whole time. And I asked him via the translator, it sounds like I made this up, but this is absolutely true. I said, can you ask this guy what his secret to being happy is? And 
he responded immediately and said, love your work. And people, mm. are, they just really take pride in what they do. And I think they only choose to do things in which they do want to, uh, what they want to do, things that they're passionate about. This guy had, you know, it took three years as an apprentice to, and, uh, uh, to get to a point where he was allowed to cook anything other than rice. So anyway, I think that was really interesting. The intentionality over there. Everyone's just so intentional about how they interact, what they do, what this, that, or the other shows up as in, the, in their world. We went to bars and restaurants, and some of these bars, most of these bars and restaurants only had six to ten people in them. They were only big enough. In fact, I don't know if I even went into a place that could sit down ten people. And so the question is, you know, I was thinking, well, how do they make money? And it turns out that, that yes, it's important to make money, but that's not the reason they do their things. They, they do it because they enjoy serving beers or bringing community around or creating this space for people to be there. Anyway, I, I could go on and on and on. I'd actually love to hear your take on it, you know, from someone who's been there far longer than five days. Yeah, oh no. I was much younger when I was there, but as you were talking, there were some things that started to pop up that I remember, and it's always the way that I feel. And I felt like in that place that... I lived off base and we lived on base as well. My dad was in the military, so that's why we happened to live and and in Okinawa and we were stationed at Kadena. But when we were off base, we lived in this apartment that was off of a beaten road. And I remember very specifically, they had the cherry blossom festivals and we'd have the dragons come down and all this. But I just remember their attention to detail was with ease. It wasn't like a strain that everything had to be just perfect. It was like just this ease that came with life. And then there was also the sense of just being very, very present. Like we would have mamasans who, you know, were in our preschools or in our elementary schools. And it's just this sense of like, I know that I have your attention. I know that I'm cared for. I know that we're in this space together. And I, again, my experience is from an island off of mainland. I know mainland and Tokyo are very, very busy and it feels like there's a rush and it's nonstop. But I think that even in those spaces, you know, you may be out and about and you could feel that rush, but then you will walk through the doors of a restaurant and what do you feel? You feel this ease because things, as you mentioned, I think it was a very good word. Things are intentional. They're done a very specific way and not in a way that is because this is the rule, but this is how we appreciate life or this is how we appreciate one another. And you know, where this showed also the world cup it was this one viral the fans is where it really first started they showed that they cleaned up the stadiums why because of how intentional they are about caring for a place where they've been the japanese fans right the Japanese fans. And then they showed the Japanese team how they did the same in the locker room, how they left it. And that's intentional to leave a place the way that you entered it isn't that's that's very thoughtful. And so that's what I would say about my experience is absolutely. I think it's a great word, but there was this ease about being there. Yeah, I felt like a brute. I felt like a brute. I, you know, we, we, the guy who was showing us around on this incredible food tour, he, he I, my friend Maddie uh, took a phone call. And the look that he got from the chef and everyone else in the <laughs> restaurant was like he had, you know, exposed himself. So <laughs> he had to leave the restaurant and, you know, uh, not for good. He came back after the call. But, yeah, so there was, there was just a lot of that stuff. And also there's time. There's another, something else that I just realized over there. There's time for everything. I've certainly been guilty, as, you know, of, of doing lots of different things from, you know, keynoting and the business of that and then doing podcast, whatever, whatever the things are. And I try and just do everything at once and it makes me so less efficient. And I feel like if I go somewhere, I will 100% of the time take my laptop because I will feel a need to work. And the truth of it is that when I do that, let's just say I go to catch up with a friend, I'm not 100% with them and I'm not 100% doing work. In fact, I'm doing neither well. So there's time to fit everything in. So yeah, that, that was incredible. At the same time, to go back to your question, where in the world has had the most influence or, you know, have I learned stuff? I've got to say, there was a moment in Japan where I, I actually spoke to our, this guide about it. They're so polite. There, there are so many, you know, rules that they follow and there's, there's the, which is great. And I just sort of had this question about, you know, sort of like flair, like is there flair in Japanese culture? Now, of course there is plenty um, and you can find it and there's you know, in some really weird ways as well. Uh, we found some odd bars, I tell you what. But I was thinking about, well, how wonderful is the world that you, you know, you and I experienced, you know, what we've just shared about Japan, but suddenly you fly to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and people are dancing on the streets yeah. and no one's wearing clothes. And, the, you, you know, what, what, 
what's happening here? Or you go to, you know, you, you fly to, to France and you walk through Paris and people are smoking cigarettes and eating frogs or whatever. The, you know, like, <laughs> have I just racially vilified? Yeah. I didn't mean to. Anyway, what I mean <laughs> to say is that the world is so different. And so I don't know if there's any one particular country that's had a, a particular effect more than the other, but I will say that the, the beauty of travel is you get to see and drop into so many different states and ways of being. That's, uh, that's helped me. Yeah. And I think that that at the very least should be a goal on everyone's list is to get out of their community, to get out of their city, their state, and even their country. If you are fortunate enough to be able to afford to travel that far, but that changes your perspective on life too. It's not just, there are a lot of things that can change our our perspective. Certainly adversity is one of them. But I think when you get out and you see different cultures, when you see how people live, how how they do school, how they work, how all of that, it just gives you a different expansive mindset that then makes you think, well, if there's so much more out here, then there's so much more within as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, and I think, you know, you don't have to nail it straight away. You don't have to go to a place and, and have this incredible experience. If you go somewhere, you might go to, to Rio, as mentioned, and that's not quite your vibe. And then you go, great, well, what else is? And it helps you sort of find yourself as well. You know, those, I remember a friend's dad when I was younger was saying the best education anyone could have is, is through travel, uh, not university or something. And, and it stuck with me. I think there's something about life that uh, we don't know until we go somewhere else. (laughs) I agree. I agree. So what advice would you have for someone who is considering, you know, starting their own hundred things project? And I'm sure people are going to walk away feeling incredibly inspired by this conversation. So thank you. But maybe they don't come up with a list of a hundred things. They just want to make significant changes in their life. And you don't have to give all of the secret sauce, but what would be their starting point? Get a piece of paper immediately press pause get a pen uh and write down one thing that you think would make you smile Mm. that would be it i as i would teach it the first four steps to creating your list uh, would be giving yourself permission which is something that we often try and seek from others Mm. we don't need other people to give ourselves permission we can give ourselves permission to do anything we want that's the power of choice uh step two is reflection I think, of course, we, you know, goals are future cast. They're about what's going to happen. But it's very important, I think, to reflect on where we've been, to understand our patterns and behaviors and all those little things. So I would say, well, in, in, the court, in our course, we would get people to write a eulogy and then we would get them to write a eulogy tweak, so a second eulogy with the tweaks that they would like. So I think that's really important because it allows us to then go into step three, which is identify specifically the important aspects or spokes. If you imagine a wheel, uh, and the spokes on that wheel give it structure, allow, allow it to roll and you know be effective. If your life is represented by that wheel, the question becomes, well, what are your spokes? If you, if you write a eulogy, you'll start to quickly understand what yours are. I read mine earlier, physical health, key relationships, professional development, travel adventure, et cetera, et cetera. I have eight. People on average have between six and eight. Uh, having done this, our course for over two and a half years now, we see that there are 12 commonly shared spokes uh, for all the ones I mentioned earlier and a couple more, but you only need to have probably between six and eight, I think. So that's step three, identifying your spokes. And then step four is, well, let's be honest, rate each of your spokes right now in this moment. How is, so, you know, love for me, seven out of 10, uh, finance, six out of 10, creativity, five out of 10, you know, be honest. So I worked out that the average health of my wheel, or the, the health of my wheel worked out by the average of all the spokes at the moment currently in my life is seven which of course leaves room for improvement. So how would you improve each spoke? So once you know them, just put a simple goal under each one, one simple goal under each spoke. And again, goals do not need to be world-changing. Hey, if they are, fantastic. But at heart, all they need to be is personally relevant. Ultimately, again, we're just trying to feel good. You don't need to throw a dart at a map and go to Mongolia. You don't need to climb Everest. You don't need to cure cancer. You just have to know what you want to do. And it could be as simple as picking up the phone, calling your mum and saying, hey, I don't think I've said this for a long time. I, I want you to know I love you. Something like that could have the most profound effect on us. But it, you can only get to that point when, once you give yourself permission to just think about it. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee for anyone who plays this game now at home, when they get a piece of paper and they're looking at a blank page with a pen, as soon as that first thing hits them and they write it down, 
you will feel this dopamine, you will feel this serotonin, mm-hmm. you will feel good mm-hmm. immediately. Research out of Harvard suggests that the minute you write down a goal, you become 42% more likely to achieve it. If you then share that goal with one person, you become 65% more likely to achieve it. And then we Huge have- jump. Right? <laughs> and then most impressive, and we haven't really spoken about, you know, the action and goal striving so much, but- if we, if we get to that or if we don't, remember this. If you get an accountability buddy for your goal, so somebody you can share that goal with over time and they can give you feedback and you can ask them to hold you accountable, you become 95% more likely to achieve that goal, which, you know, should be illegal, right? It's that good. So, yeah, anyone listening, please get a piece of paper, get a pen, give yourself 10 minutes, just that, five minutes. Sit down, close your eyes, and just think about something that's going to make you smile. And then whatever comes out on that page, commit to it. And I love how you put in perspective that it can be something that is seemingly small, but it's really not small if it is is popping up in your consciousness is, I, I need this. That means it's actually significant and, and to pay attention to that. There's one thing that I uh, teach clients, it's called confidence checkpoints. And if we were take a minute and to look back, maybe even just in the last year and look at things that you did well, small wins, something that was difficult, but you saw it through, right? So all these moments, because when you look back, you're gonna see like, no, I have a track record of being able to do these things. But to your point, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, it's about consciously choosing what you are filling that life with, what you're filling your life with. And are those things in which you're filling your life with, do they really make you happy? Do they make you feel feel fulfilled? And if not, something's got to change. That's for sure. Well, Sebastian, I think that there's so much that our listeners are going to take away from this. More than anything, the energy that you give as you're expressing just your journey is is infectious. And and I also feel like some of the things that you're teaching, again, I know you have a framework. I know you have a book. I know you have all of these wonderful resources that can help guide someone through their, their own journey of discovering their, their goals and what would make them feel happy. But to pull so much from your own personal life and experience is what really, for me, is encouraging because I know that that's something that fuels my own desires to own my life and own my choices is to see how someone else is living their life fully, how they have decided to overcome the very similar things that I know, again, we all go through as humans. So I want to say thank you for being being vulnerable, even when you're naked. Thanks for being vulnerable and open up. No, just kidding. But but seriously, I appreciate you setting a, a, such a great example on how we can achieve our goals from a very healthy space and from a very happy space. So if anyone wanted to get in contact with you, if they want to learn more, what kind of resources or where would you point them to, to learn more on how they can learn from you? Well, firstly, thank you for having me. And that's very nice what you said. <laughs> so uh, it's really lovely to connect with you. And if anyone wants to check out more of my stuff, you can go to my website, sebastianterry.com. Uh, or of course, you can find me on Instagram, seb100things. You know, there are, there are resources there. It's very much, my website's actually catered uh, currently for keynote speaking. However, I do have this online course. And if anyone's interested in it, uh, email me, seb at 100things.com or get in touch somehow. And I'm happy to offer a big, what, what's a good discount? Half price, half price <laughs> for anyone who's heard, uh, heard, you know, our conversation. So yeah, um, that's where you can find me. And it's been an absolute pleasure. I just want to say thank you so much for having me and, uh, allowing me to share. And it's been really lovely learning from you too. Oh, well, thank you for bringing your light to this show. I know it's going to touch so many. So make sure you go check out Sebastian's website, follow him on all the social media platforms. And I would love to hear from you. What is the one thing that you wrote down? How do you want to bring more happiness and more joy in your life? Make sure you tag us and share it at Success Podcast. See you later. Thanks. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.